So I want to have um, some things ringing in your ear from last week. Um, and first is just a little bit of context, that the Jerusalem church, which, um, which exists in this time and really the kind of center of how Christianity started, has been under several famines. And um, so Paul creates this kind of capital campaign um, to relieve the brothers and sisters that are in need. And Paul celebrates the incredible generosity of the Macedonian Christians um, who were actually very poor. And he's reminding the Corinthian church, which is reasonably wealthy, that they had this, they had a year ago had pledged to give money to the Jerusalem church. And he's basically calling them to deliver on that generosity that they pledged. But here's really what I want to have ringing in your ear. Paul's whole like, foundation for creating this capital campaign for Jerusalem is about sharing in the life, death, resurrection, second coming, and reign of Jesus in the world and among his church, even if separated by geography and language and all those things. I mean, remember how the last bit of the passage ended last week, which is really the same passage, if you will. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, he for our sake became poor, so that by his poverty we might become rich. Paul locates the ethics the Christian ethics of generosity in the life, death, resurrection, second coming, and present reign of Jesus, like he locates every ethic in Christianity. And then he relates it to the entire redemptive story about Jesus, from creation to the new Jerusalem. In one sense, you guys, chapter 8 and 9 of 2 Corinthians is pretty simple. Hey, y'all, remember when you said you were going to give money? Could you do that now? It's what it is. But the, 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 the secret sauce is how and why he does it. And that's where you see this ethic of generosity in Christianity, which we established before, is that grace generates generosity. And so how does that work? And it, and it kind of deals with the questions that we have. What does this grace-born generosity look like in us? And I think this passage, though I'm not using his particular language here, it, 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 it's tied to our head and tied to our hands and tied to our hearts. That's how we see if this grace-born generosity is happening. So, in one sense, he starts off with, use your head. Think about it. Verse 10, and in this matter, I give my judgment, which benefits you. Think about this. Who a year ago had thought about it and started to give this pledge. Verse 12, he says, the readiness is there. You, you, you've thought through this a good bit. In the verse 14, he says, your abundance at the present time should supply another person's need so that their abundance may supply your need at some point. So, like, think about it a little bit, you know? 
Get your head in this game. Grace generates generosity, and generosity is both deliberate and deliberative. You contemplate it. You see it over and over and over in Scripture. He's not like making this up. It's not like new revelation. It's new uh, application of old revelation to a specific church. In the Old Testament church, tithes are um, 10% of your overall income given to the Levites, to the local um, servants. Offerings are what we give above and beyond that. But they are thought through and planned. They are deliberative. Um, that's why you see all the stuff about not giving more than you should in verse 12 um, and being careful about how you give and being deliberate about how you do give for what's important. Not so much more than you should, more than like putting yourself in poverty for that sake. Now, we often think of, and frankly, I grew up with, that uh, grace-born generosity is spontaneous. I remember one time, um, it was, I was in college, I was basically on my own, um, but I was walking with my mom through D.C. midwinter, probably January, and I just had gotten new Christmas gloves, and we walked along somebody who was homeless. Actually, I have no idea if they were homeless or not. They just looked cold, and they were definitely impoverished, and so I gave them my gloves. My mom walked with me for a while, and she goes, what are you going to do for the rest of the day and the rest of the winter? And I said, didn't think about that. Hadn't through, thought through all that part, and she knew I was broke. <clears throat> I was working at Tres Amigos restaurant, and so I did have some tip money, so I could have probably gotten some. Uh, but she bought me a new pair, grace upon grace upon grace. It was spontaneous, but it wasn't thought through. And it may have been really good. It just wasn't thought through. But if you only wait for a kind of spontaneous generosity, it ain't what Paul's talking about. Because those come and go. <clears throat> when the widow carried her might to the temple, she had to prepare for that, A, by going to the temple, standing in line, and then giving it. I said that there was a tithe in the Old Testament. There's actually three tithes in the Old Testament. Um, the first one is what we think of as the regular giving. Um, which is 10% off the top, if you will. Um, but there was another one that could only be received on the annual trip that you took to Jerusalem. And that included like a tenth of your cows and your mint and your dill and all that other stuff. Then there was a third one, which was every three years, you gave another 10% um, for alms for the poor in your city so that that city would be able to welcome Ukrainians who are, have to leave their home. Or something akin to that. Yes, that is 23% of, off the top, um, but it is a planned generosity. And that didn't even include the offerings that were also asked for and given as they were received blessing. This just means, all I'm trying to say is that you've got to have your head in the game in generosity. You've got to be thinking about it. You've got to be, be, be conscious of it. The, the grace that generates generosity, it is something that you plan and pray about. And in fact, um, Paul encourages us here in that verse 12 about like knowing what you have and what you've give, received. You might say, he literally tells you to count your blessings and then respond accordingly and then count and calculate what you will give. Your head's in the game. The Bible has guidelines. I think it's a wise one to do the 
to give to the Levites, to your local church. But it's deeper and more deliberate than that. Grace generates generosity, but it's often generated with your calculator in your hand. And just because you have a calculator in hand doesn't mean you have to be calculating about how it's going to work. You don't have to run a cost-benefit analysis of it all, mostly because you're not sure how it's going to work anyway. Deliberate, thoughtful, sacrificial generosity kind of sounds like Jesus. Lord, take this cup from me. I don't want to do this. But alas, your will, not mine, be done. A couple warnings here. It's not only about how you plan. Easing your head and giving doesn't mean you get to control the outcomes. I love what Steve Beck says about giving. Hey, look, once you give your money away, it's not yours anymore. And again, the cost-benefit analysis doesn't always work. I rarely give cash to people one-on-one. I usually try to buy them something with money. There's a lot of reasons for that. But it's not fundamentally control. It's actually trying to be kind and deliberate about how I think about these things because I am not safe with cash. Cash, I I feel like it's burning in my wallet, and I will spend it on anything. (laughs) Oftentimes not a super helpful thing. So my head tells me I would much prefer to give $50 in groceries or gas than even $5 in cash. I had a friend in Charlotte uh, who always had a, had a bunch of $5 gift cards, and she'd put them in a little envelope and write a little note to them. Um, but that's because she had pre-planned to give, and she was always ready to do that. They were always to show Mars, by the way, which is a Charlotte chain restaurant, which we have one now, by the way, um, here in Winston. Um, and would she just write this little note to them telling her why she's giving to them out of the beauty of what Jesus has done for her. So when someone asked for money, she just gave that. Deliberate planning. It used to be $5 gift cards because that was when you could buy something at a restaurant for $5. There used to be a five-buck lunch in Charlotte at like a cool restaurant. (laughs) That's funny. Um, Which this actually illustrates the second thing um, in this passage. It's not just deliberate planning, but it's actually... um, acting on that. It's not just about having your head in the game, but your hand on the wheel. That you're really doing it, head and hand. So Paul says, verse 11, now finish doing what you said, so that your readiness in desiring may be matched by completing it out of what you have. The whole premise of chapter 8 and 9 is, hey, you had a great idea. Are you going to do it? It's what it is. And Paul is a little concerned that they might be hedging a little bit or whatever else is going on. And this is just like super practical. Grace generates generosity, not of thought, but of action. It is both your head and your hand. We plan and then we act. It's the whole point of the passage. I have an embarrassing admission for you, and I think only Roger and Christine Greider know this. 
Amanda and I forgot to tithe for about 11 months. Now, there's a context. Let me give you some help on this. We'd always just automatically sent our giving as a payment. A couple years ago, we had some extra money, and we put it in a giving account. We moved all of our giving into that account. Now, that was the time when Amanda's brother was in real trouble, eventually moved here. Um, He was sick, and we were spending money all over the place. I was just looking at the giving account, and it was going down a plenty. And so I just assumed the tithe was coming out of that. Well, what we didn't realize is that though we stopped the giving from our regular account, we didn't start the giving from our giving account. So, you know, this was not over a full year, uh, a, a full uh, uh, calendar year. Um, but it, so when we got our giving statement, I was like, I thought we gave more money than that. And I was like, nothing has been given since X. So I called Christine and I said, it must be an error. There's something clearly that's not the problem. Well, the problem was me. So all I have to say is, again, we, we've made up for it since then. Um, but intention and reality matter. Your head in the game uh, and your hand on the wheel matter. Um, and so, whether, so what Paul's kind of doing here is, is like, look, great intentions. You're going to do it or not. That's working with head and hand. You Corinthians, you've, you've, you've planned deliberately and beautifully. Will you enact that plan? Your head was in the game, but your hand has not been, so hand it over or hand out. And that's just for us. Whether it's a mistake like the Hyatts or some possible hedging among the Corinthians, or just we get too um, infatuated with the romantic dream of giving, but then actually don't ever do it, it's just a warning to us to make sure that our head is in the game and our hand is on the wheel as we give. So head on a swivel for generosity but hand on the wheel. All right, which brings me to the third way. Um, And you know, if there's two H's and I have head and hand, the next one is? There you go. Well-trained Presbyterians. This is what Paul's doing when he locates their giving in their desire. Verse 10, this benefits you. A year ago, you started not only to do this work, but had a desire to do it. And so he's like, what's, what's that desire? What's that heart thing that's going on? This is good for you. It benefits you. There's something going on in your heart that's really important. And the economy of the kingdom uh, launches from a heart of generosity transformed by the grace of Jesus. That's what it does. Because it's the very heart of the king of the kingdom of God to be generous to us. Your your abundance at this time, he says in verse 14, should supply the needs of others. And one day, their abundance may supply your needs. Because it all works out in 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 the economy of the Lord Jesus. It's amazing to think about, if last week was about the Macedonians and their lack and their giving within their lack, this may be more relevant for us, more Corinthian. What does it mean when you have abundance? and give. It's like, I just got a pay raise. I can give more money away. Typical first thought when you get a raise. But it is a kingdom thought when you get a raise. Oh, I want to pay off my house 
so that I don't pay the interest so much so that I can give more money away. Again, first thought. I won the lottery. I can't wait to give it 89% of it away. But that's the, the heart grace that generates generosity. To illustrate all of this, and, and really, I'll let you make the links between head, hand, and heart, I'm going to read you a response I got when I asked our, our officers, hey guys, I'm doing a three-week uh, sermon series on generosity. Do you have any resources, ideas, or anything like that? And one of our people wrote back and said, <clears throat> no clue, clue if any portion of this is usable or not, which of course then pings my interest. I grew up, like most folks, putting tithes and offerings in a collection plate. Visited a church in the 80s, and I think Redeemer did this too, whose response to the kind of televangelist world and all its scandals was to place a box in the back and never mention anything. Seemed like a good idea in response to what was going on. Then, while at Redeemer, I heard that the concept of giving as an, it should be or can be or is preferred to be an, uh, um, uh, an intentional part of corporate worship. And that too made sense. Through all the years, tithing has been a struggle for me. Too much at the end of the month kind of calculating because I'm in sales. And I receive paychecks sometimes three times in a week. So, I still don't know if I'm right or wrong in how I've balanced this giving with debt and living up to obligations, but I'm thankful for the grace that covers it. When online giving began, and we did that occasionally, that was good, but we usually just opted for checks in the worship service. When COVID hit, remember I have multiple jobs, well, my spouse has multiple jobs, and I'm in sales, and so my paydays are really irregular. I started tithing on Sunday, uh, Sunday at, uh, during at-home worship, but later transitioned to doing it the first thing in the morning on the days my paycheck hits the bank account. I've made as many as three text-to-give transactions in a week, Originally, it was because I didn't want to have to keep track of it all. But then I realized, I began to see it's the way of giving the first fruits of our labor to God. It's an act of faith that the money will stretch as far as it needs to as we act in giving Him the first. It also acknowledged each source of income as a unique gift from God. And no matter how small or large, we have been blessed by it. It helps me associate more directly that the income really creates an opportunity to give. Giving has been more of a blessing to us in these past couple years than ever before. And then he writes, I really hesitate to tell this story because there are so many ways it can be taken out of context, but God has blessed us with the gift of giving, and it's a real praise. I believe we're obligated to share the work he is doing in our lives. So use anonymously as the Spirit leads. The Spirit led him, and then me, to share it with you, and I hope it leads us 
to kind of combine that, that head, that hand, and that heart to figure out how to deliberately give, and as we'll find out next week, cheerfully. That kind of generosity, that kind of grace from God helps us engage with our heads, our hands, and our heart. Okay, that'd be the end of a great TED Talk, but I want to spend some time on the deeper magic of what Paul is doing. I hinted at it earlier because it's actually founded, his new foundation has a foundation in Jesus, in the work of Jesus, what he's done in the world, and what God's been doing in the world the whole time. It's tied to a kind of a a vision of a radical uh, beauty of who God is and what our life together is. Even if it's separated by geography, language, resources, it's the beautiful community that King preached of, freed from all the self-serving narratives of our day about money. It's about when grace, the unmerited favor of Jesus, changes us into a different kind of community that is radically loving like his. Remember, verse 9, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. He became poor so that we would become rich. It's locating it in that story that is so important. Because what he does in verse 15 is he says, as it is written, whoever gathered much had nothing left over, and whoever gathered little had no lack. Now, he's preaching to probably, I would, what do you say, 50% of the people were Jewish? 50% of people were like, what is he talking about? Because he's quoting Exodus about the manna that came down for 40 years when you weren't able to gather two days worth, except for on Friday night, because that would cover Saturday as well, or Friday, which would cover Saturday as well. And if you gathered too much, it would spoil It wasn't going to be available to you. He's saying, don't you remember part of the redemptive story of God's people is manna in the desert in Exodus? When God says, like, I got you. I'm going to feed you. I've got what you need. And I'm going to give it to you. But I want there to be no question who's doing it, even if it's just for 40 years of our life together. I, don't want, I want stories to be written about. There's no question where any blessing you have comes from. I got you. Don't worry about it. Know that. Don't doubt it. You're mine. I love you. And he's saying, basically, you've got you to gotta learn this. God's given him a 40-year training program and then writing about it so that we would learn as well that, that I need to make this like deep down in your head and in your hands and in your heart that every blessing is from me. And not only is it from me, it's not 100% about you. It's about you and your neighbor, your brother and sister, whether they're in Jerusalem or Ukraine or wherever they are. Don't take too much. It's going to be useless. It will mold. Just gather enough, and you will have enough. And when some extraordinary blessing comes, give it away. He's saying, Paul's saying, hey, God's had this from the beginning, and you're going to be okay, yes, 
even you Corinthians who are living in abundance, uh, probably have over-worried about not having enough. It's okay. I wonder if he's thinking about Jesus' words that says, hey, store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, where your money at, is actually where your heart is. It doesn't say the opposite of that. It says that money giving, that head, heart, hand relationship, you want to see what you really value, what your treasure is? Just look at your ledger. Super helpful. I would say look at your calendar too because that's another resource that seems limited. Well, that one actually is limited. Um, So he's orienting us to a more beautiful vision of what it means to be the body of Christ, to be a generous body together. You could say this is like the, the within the church grace, grace-centered economic system. I am not talking about any political systems or economic theories. I'm talking about an economic theory for the church. It's radical and it's glorious and it's filled with valuing the most important things, honoring God as the one who gives every blessing and then looking out for your neighbor who's in need, for your brother and sister who are in need. Look, next week we're going to dive into some really, really practical things. All of it's important, and all of it will engage our head and hand and our heart. But just like that we have established that it is grace that generates these things, um, this, last week, this passage actually says, hey, one evaluative tool is to see how your head and your hand and heart are in this together. Jesus has flipped the script on poverty and abundance by saying, I have become poor so that I would make you rich. And yes, you can hear that in a prosperity gospel sense. Please don't hear that in a prosperity gospel sense. But, but the problem with the prosperity gospel is that it actually locates that as in the here and now. The truth is the prosperity gospel is right, it's just got the wrong timeline. We will be provided for as incredibly and generously as you could ever imagine. But for now, what's it going to look like? in this broken world. So I'm just, this is as practical as it gets. I have, I'm going to end with three things. One, a prayer request. Two, a challenge to us. And three, I'm going to repost what I read last week about how beautiful this vision of the community of giving is. So let me start with the first one. That's the prayer request. Y'all, praise be to our Lord Jesus Christ. In the last few weeks, we received what people in the fundraising um, world would call a major gift. It's not major. It's major in amount. It's not major um, um, because of the amount. Um, I don't know who gave it, but they said to us, and this reveals the heart of a giver, use it as you see fit. Whoever you are, thank you. As I say that, I want to thank each and every one of you who may not blip onto the radar of, of the kind of r- the radar of major gift. Um, that ain't y'all's problem. That's a radar problem. So thank you as well. The widow's might bleeps on the radar of the kingdom of God. But our leaders have work to do now to use our heads and our hearts and our 
hands uh, to, to, to figure out how to use this well. So pray for us this week and then week or so coming ahead as we engage in this reality. It is a wonderful problem to have so that we would use it well so that it might actually spur on even more generosity among us uh, for the kingdom of God. Pray that we would be mostly overwhelmed with Jesus' goodness to us and that we would operate out of a transformed head, heart, and hand. So pray for us this week. A challenge. Y'all don't sweat the details of this stuff. Just give your heads and heart and hand to Jesus. He'll figure it out. Let his grace generate generosity in you. And his grace that is both his rescuing love and his lordship, kingship over us. He's got us. Let, let Jesus' the story of Jesus and his whole work in Israel and beyond and, and God's whole work from Israel to our Lord Jesus, let it, let it reimagine how you orient um, to the fiscal realities that you live in. For the sake of honoring our Lord and for the sake of our neighbors. Embrace the one who has spent himself on you. He doesn't just teach you an example of generosity. He has been utterly generous to you. And lastly, I'll end again, circa 126, describing to a king what Christians were like. When one of their poor passes away, they provide for his burial according to his ability. And if they hear that any of their number is imprisoned or oppressed, all of them provide for his needs. And if he may be ransomed, they ransom him. And if there is a man among them that is poor or needy and they do not have an abundance, they fast for two or three days to create the abundance for them and supply the needy with the necessary food they're required. They live honestly and soberly, as the Lord their God commanded them. Every morning and at all hours, on account of the goodness of their God to them, they praise and laud him. And over their food and over their drink, they render him thanks. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, would you help us? we got lots of growing to do. There's so many things in this world that tell us that we got to be scared, we got to be self-protective. And we know Paul even tells us to be wise about all of our giving. But let us not orient toward um, the fears and the ways of our world. Let us orient to you, Lord Jesus, how you poured yourself out. Give us faith and hope and trust, and grace to be gracious to others in our generosity. We pray in your name. Amen.